When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's me, WWE Hall of Famer from the LOD, Road Warrior Animal. And who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Monty and the Pharaoh. I just want to say thank you to our subscribers as we now have hit the 10,000 plateau. Thank you to all our subscribers out there. But I'm going to ask our subscribers to take the next step for us and become a full-fledged YouTube Monty and the Pharaoh member. Yes, that's right, folks. You can check it out. We've got three different levels. Uh, there's free shirts. There's free autographs. There's all sorts of perks for our members. There is nothing more we enjoy than giving you this program. And to do that, we need your support and we appreciate your support. This is Jimmy Farrow. And don't forget to check out Monty and the Farrow every Thursday from Indie Music TV. 
and on Cablevision here locally in New York, Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh. Later. Is that good enough for you? Can I finish this? Lesson is killing him. I'm pissed. Yes. All right, welcome to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and Afaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV, out of Long Ronkonkoma, Long Island. By the way, really? my wife has been busting my balls about Where? that. About what? Because I say living, you know, producing in Ronkonkoma, okay. on Ronkonkoma. Would she you... says foreigners use on, and if we live here, it's supposed to be in. Okay. Thoughts? That's fine. You know, why don't you take a little less heat? Hi, we're here in Ronkonkoma. That's the star of the show, Mr. Jimmy Farrow. Jimmy, how are you, my friend? Good. It's morning, and I'm actually forming sentences. Actually, I'm a little bit shocked. <sighs> so am I. Tony Atlas uh, getting a little heat from uh, Thursday's show. Want to weigh in? Did he? What Regarding what? His answers to the rebuttal of uh, the situation? Well, I guess uh, Tony had a little too much to drink, and so? fans weren't happy about that or whatever okay. else. Okay, that was his prerogative. I thought he kept it clean. I thought he did, too. I thought and he well, was you fun. thought about his viewpoints about I'm going into business for himself. What? That's not his right? That's his right. That's why I'm Did asking you a question. Tony, I mean, Tony woke, Tony woke up to the, you know, he's got his he's got his internet connection now. He's got his, he's got his computer, and... He wants to do things himself, so let him. Fair enough. It's his call. So, go Tony. Biggest thing on the docket today, besides the two superstars we have in studio, mm -hmm. I was bringing my wife out to dinner yesterday, right? And I, okay. You know, I've got XM radio. Yeah. And I like listen to 80s on 8. Okay. Right? 80s on 8. Yeah. All right. So it's 80s music, right? Sure. Stuff we grew up on. Yeah. Not you. You were kind of a metalhead. I get it, but... That's 80s! I guess. Made it in Priest is in eighties. But anyway, I thought I wanted. I, I was thinking about you because <laughs> Tommy Two Tone came on. Tommy Two Tone. Yeah, he had a phone number, didn't he? Yeah, five three zero nine eight six seven five three zero nine. Yeah, Jenny. Yeah, what a, what about it? Did you like that song? Yes, I did. For a metalhead, yes, I did. For a guy who grew up with the Bla Black it makes Sabbath me feel and good. the Beatles, by the way, so don't get crazy out there. But yeah, I liked. I liked Jenny. Something wrong with it? Did it you call funny. that number when you were younger? I think everybody called that number. How many times do you think you called? I, uh, let me see. Uh, to be honest, I might have called once or twice, but I have no memory of it. I probably was just a disconnected line. <laughs> Who would have that number during that time? The only reason I brought it up, right, is I was thinking how good that song makes me feel. It makes you feel It makes good. me feel young. What, like I ran from a flock of seagulls? That makes you feel good? But being a musician, d yeah. does it upset you that a song <laughs> that simple would, became that famous? No, of course not, because the Beatles had... In the By the way, early... a flock of seagulls had more than one hit, though. They did? Yeah. Yeah, Space Age Love Song. More than that. Did right? they really? They yeah. had... I think they had like three or four. Did they? Yeah. Okay. No, the Beatles started on the simplest of terms with songs like She Loves You. There's nothing wrong with a good, simple, catchy tune. Oh, boy. Now we're, now we're comparing... 
Tommy Two Tone no, to the Beatles. No, we are not. But I'm showing the comparative of simple songs are just as good sometimes as Stairway to Heavens. It all depends. I'd like to thank the band that sings the theme song to the Monty and the Farrell show, own Jimmy Farrell, along with his partner Bart Griggs. Make the band with Stereo Hall. Uh, yeah. Wisteria Hall sings such great songs as our theme song, Riding High. In my dreams, this life not far behind. Here comes the rain. You can find their music on the Wisteria Hall YouTube page, which we're asking people to give a little thumbs up, a little like, subscribe, <laughs> show them some love. You put 8375 Whatever. <laughs> you know, come on, dude. I mean, give me a break. Oh, it's I'm old. I'm tired. It's early. Spotify, iTunes, and <laughs> Reverb Nation, in case you didn't know it. This is the Monty and the Show, Long Island's number one hey. pro wrestling and broadcast. You can see us on the Monty and the YouTube page, Facebook Live page. You can hear us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor. You can see us on a Twitch TV Monty and Faro page. And if you live in New York, you can catch us three times a week on Great. Channel 115 every Tuesday in the... Reduced version. Thank you. I hate when you do From, that. Well, that's another thing my wife was bitching at me about. What? Uh, about she doesn't agree know. with the reduced terminology? Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree with that. There you go. Oh, well, right. you will see these two superstars in the reduced version from 7 to 7.30. And for early risers like... 6 a.m. in the morning, which yeah. I'm up at from yeah. 6 to 6.30 on Channel 115. And for the nightlife people like yourself, the Thank vampires, you. yes, Channel 20, 1 a.m. to 1.30. So when you're home from drinking... <laughs> Or if you're home drinking and you didn't go out. you want to settle down, <laughs> you can catch a little m &P along with these two icons. Sure. We'll be right back after this commercial break with the three-time WWF Tag Team Champions, Money Inc. Yes, Money Inc. We are in awe right now, Mr. Ted DiBiase and Whoa. Mike Rotundo. See you in a sec. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage, ask for Jack. And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. That's right, folks. K9 Corral. For all your dog daycare and overnight care, call 631-549-1544. That's 631-549-1544. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Monty Nefaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV in Ron Conkama, Long Island. In studio, we have the WWE Legends Hall of Famers, Money, Inc. in studio, Mr. Ted DiBiase, and I was corrected, but I don't want to do it, IRS. So for the fans that get out there, don't get all uptight with me. I'm sorry. I like Mike Rotundo. <laughs> it's Rotunda. Rotunda. Uh. <laughs> it's both. And, it's and both. Then, he, then he threatened to kill me if I use what? Michael Wall Street, but I won't. Michael, oh, please. <laughs> no. Guys, no. I want to really, seriously, I want to thank you for coming in, taking your time. I know you got a busy day today. What an honor, a huge thrill to have, like... Go ahead. We were just talking about mark out. I'm marking out a little Go bit. Ahead. We were talking about Barry Windham, how what a huge fan I was of Barry. Absolutely. And what a huge fan I of you, Mike. And then oh my God, it's Ted DiBiase. <laughs> oh, by the way. Oh, the guy God. that, you know, 
drew more ratings than the Super Bowl. Yeah. On a Friday night. We'll get to that. Yes. We'll discuss that. Did you know that, Ted? You no, seem a little quizzical on Ted's that. Ted's like, one. I did? No. Really? <laughs> you did. <laughs> We're going to find out. I know it now. <laughs> wow. And I'll use it. <laughs> That's right. As you should. And by the way, the rest of the universe who they'll be signing at now, the prices have just gone up to $80 for autograph, just so everybody's aware. <laughs> everybody's got a price. Oy. Uh, WrestleMania right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, one week away. Hulk Hogan, Titus O'Neil will be hosting WrestleMania. Many fans angry over the fact that Hogan is even involved in this. Not us. We're huge fans. In fact, Hall of Famer Mark Henry makes it clear that Hogan still hasn't apologized for his comments from how many years ago? We're talking 10 almost at this point. You guys want to weigh in on the cancel culture that's going on with this country right now? I think it's sick. You know, um... It's just like, to me, it's ridiculous. It is. It's, you know, get over it. Grow up. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much from the old school of things, too, as as far as uh, I think knowing your history can make you great. Um, You learn from history, and history repeats itself. So... The idea is not to repeat the bad, but keep the good. And everybody has an opinion, I get that, but sometimes it's gotten to the point where it's just totally ridiculous for what reason. I mean, every society in the world has had been oppressed one way or the other at some time throughout history, and you overcome it and try not to let it ever happen again. And you're exactly right, Mike, and, and history does repeat itself. Again, if as long as you, it, it'll repeat itself as long as you don't, if you don't learn from the mistakes that are made. Right. And, and, I, and I think that there needs to be some things around, you know, that we can look at and go, you know what, I'm going to make sure that never happens again. Uh, but to just you know, just to trample everything out. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Get rid of that statue and all that stuff because of that. No, it's all a part of our history. And again, it's it's a reminder of what we shouldn't go back to. Are we becoming too soft as a society? Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. start it. I'll say yes. Well, I feel we are. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. You know. Yeah. And how can we learn from our mistakes if we're so busy erasing our past, we'll have nothing back to look upon, right? to You're learn right. from? I agree. I'm confused by it. Look, I'm a big animal advocate, right? Speciesism, right? Racism, speciesism, anti-Semitism, right? To me, they all fall into the same bucket. And, look, I'm a huge fan of Hulk Hogan. Um, I always thought he was a... a you know, he changed people's lives. That's what we're here on this planet, right? To change people people's lives. And, you know, my whole point is, how do we give someone like Hulk Hogan such a hard time? But with all due respect, Michael Vick, who tortured animals and killed hundreds and hundreds of animals, is being held up to this higher level. And you don't see this. It seems like such an imbalance that's going on here. Or is it just the fact that this country likes to knock people down so they can just build them up and knock them down again? Yeah, I mean, if you're in the public eye, you're in that situation one way or the other, you know, and you, it's almost like the point where you're going to make some people happy, but you're definitely going to make, uh, offend a lot of other people, so 
you're kind of riding this teeter-totter and don't know which direction to go or you know step over this bounds or you hide behind this building or step out you know front and center stage it's it's hard to do this day and age because everybody's got an opinion everybody's got a cell phone and there's no escape so you really have to be careful what you say where you say it when you say it and that's sad because you know life should be at some time spontaneous and you don't get the right to be able to do that like you would have 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago for that matter you know why can't people differ an opinion and get along and discuss that I don't opinion know. it's i mean it doesn't have to be an angry battle it's right. like this is what i believe in this is what you believe in let's discuss because it like there's two no humans. respect you right. know that's right. the word it is bingo right no respect. The respect has gone. And Ted's got to be hard with you, you know, preaching the word to be able to keep that balance too, right? It's like you well, got to be hard, right? Well, again, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm. That's beautiful. I love you know, it. And so, That's you beautiful. know, and I, I am un unashamedly a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ, and and that's what I preach, you know. And of course, they're, uh, you know, it's it, it's sad, but you know, in our country today, you know, that's being attacked. Do you think there's any connection going back to 9-11 with the downfall it seems to be towards religion in this country? Because I hate to link the two, but I feel like on 9-11 a, a lot of things happened to our collective soul as a nation. And I feel like we've, we've turned our back very much so on religion without even saying it or declaring it publicly. It seems to be the unsaid thing as part of the overall attack on the traditional values of this country. Any thoughts on that? I know it's kind of deep, but... Mm. I wonder about that. <clears throat> well, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I would say nine eleven was the the kickoff point, but I mean, uh, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it's, I mean, but biblically speaking, uh, you know, uh, if you believe the Bible, uh, the first time God destroyed the world it was because mankind became totally corrupt. Uh, immoral mm -hmm. and the whole the whole ball of wax to the point where he said I'm going to I'm going to get rid of it and start over. Right. And he did promise that and he just said he also says that it's going to happen again. In other words, the world, not just the United States, but the world is going to get to a place of immorality and depravity again and the next time he destroys it's going to be by fire not by by uh blood. Right. So, and again, I believe the Bible, so I mean it's um, it's what's going to happen, and you know, uh, um, I've, I've seen a lot of things in our country that I, you know, didn't think I'd ever see. Right. But and again, but I, you know, again, the, 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 I, I think the freedom of speech, uh, in in some cases, and by some, are is trying to be impeded. You know, like oh, you can't think that, or you can't say that. No, well, you know, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. Good for you. Amen. Amen. Do, can we recover as a country? Or are we running out of time? Well, I think I think we can, you know, if we will. Uh, uh, but yeah, but the talk the, the clock's ticking. Yep, feels like it. All right. On a much lighter note, although it's not very. Do you think? That, hey, we're going into this wrestling <laughs> interview, and now we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I thought it. 
I, this is Monty and the Pharaoh. Hey, guys. Yeah, I thought it. Absolutely. And I'm glad it happened. So anyway, this is a little less controversial or a little less sensitive, but not to a wrestling mark like me. The Hall of Fame, of course, is coming up in the very near future, and it starts the, the debate, as always, every year about who should be in. Well, first of all... Mr. Rotundo, Rotunda, Mr. IRS, you should be in the flipping Hall of Fame. Michael Wall Street. He told you not to call. All right, the dinner's going to be fun for you later. Boy, I'm later. But IRS should be in the Hall of Fame. Let's be serious here. It's an absolute joke, especially after they're just putting in the great Kali. Sorry, Kali. But uh, any thoughts about uh, possibly getting in the Hall of Fame one day? Well, I don't really... um Concern myself with stuff I can't control. I do. Well, get in. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. No, really. I mean, it would be nice to be, but it's it's not a an earth shattering thing for okay. me. I, in my heart, know what I did while I wrestled, and I'm happy with that. It should be. So. Should be. But you should be in. I well, mean, I appreciate what, are you write a letter that. to the uh, to the hall. Are we going to start a campaign? I'm I mean, I'm pretty angry. I, I'm. I know I, you know, I gotta be honest with you here. guys, like yourself or Barry Windham. I know Wyndham got in with the Horsemen, right. but I mean, for Wyndham not to be in by himself, oh. or for you not to be in by yourself, or for you not to be with the U.S. Express, I mean, right. what you guys did that for too. that company, again, we're huge WWE guys back in the day, huge Vince McMahon guys, Yeah. you know, again, yeah. far right, huge Donald Trump guy, so, <laughs> but oh not to have you in is ridiculous. Well, I appreciate you saying so, but like I said, I, I don't stress over... Things I can't control because right. there's no sense doing that. So I, I think the call will come. To be very honest, I think it will come. Who do you think should be in, like as as icons yourselves, like, when you look back and you see what's happening with the Hall of Fame? Because I think there is importance in this Hall of Fame. Well, we were speaking earlier. I think Demolition definitely should be in there. You know, they were a cool tag team, and there's there's a lot of people. It's if I'd have to look at a whole list, but the rest of the wrestling, like, like even the guy that started me in the, in the wrestling business, Dick Byer mm-hmm. and Ted, mm-hmm. Ted knew Dick Byer, the destroyer, you know, he was, a uh, he literally was in Japan, uh, a superstar over there with his own television show, you know, I mean, which is very unusual for seven for, years, it, it, very for, extremely okay. unusual in Japan. Uh, for somebody that's what uh, gaijin. Gaijin right. means you're a foreigner. You're not Japanese. Mm-hmm. Right. That was you know almost unheard of. Plus, he had a, a outstanding career in the U.S. He just never was a, like a, a WWE guy, so to speak. But he worked for Vern Gagne and territories out in San Francisco, and he was a well-known um, character, you know, and. Literally, everybody laughs because he would wear his mask every when he went back to, J- to Japan. Well, that was his whole thing. People, he they had like the biggest TV rating in Japan Japanese history, I think, and that still applies today. When Dick Byer wrestled Giant Baba for wow. the title, there you go. It's that's pretty big. There you go. I can't remember the. You'd have to look that up, what the TV rating was, but I think it still stands as the biggest rating they've ever had there. Wow. So, and Ted, that, you, you enjoyed Japan with another foreigner who was treated like a, a wrestling god over there, too, Stan Hansen, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, Stan, what was that like? Uh, it, it, it was great. I mean, I, uh, I can still remember uh, when uh, 
Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody were a tag team, uh, and extreme again another you know one of those teams that wow. everybody watched that 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 were huge, and when Brody jumped and went to New Japan, which was unheard of because you know, loyalty is a very big thing in Japan. And the fact that he would jump from one company to another was was just you know, almost unheard of, and it was huge news. And then Stan comes to me and he goes, uh, "Brody's jumped to the other side. I need a new partner. Do you want the job?" Oh, man, I, I mean, my mouth dropped open. I said, "Are you kidding?" He said, "No." I said, "Absolutely." And so, uh, and of course, it was short lived because you know uh, because of the WWF. You know, uh, when I saw. You know when I, you know when I picked up my newspaper and saw that Vince had put ninety three thousand people in the Pontiac Silverdome, mm. I said it then. I said uh, I'm either going to have to be a part of that company or, you know, because everything else is going to go away. Well, that so that's funny. So you saw what was happening. Yeah. On the other hand, you were part of that whole beginning of this. How come you and Barry left? Young and dumb. <laughs> Good answer. Okay. Okay. Yes. okay. You know, young and dumb, man. We just said one day, and I didn't grow up in this business. That was I was only like three and a half years into my career at that point. I had no idea that what would happen, or you know. But we just, and, and uh, to be honest with you, I mean, that first year Barry and I were up here with WWF, we wrestled I think over three hundred days. And we were just, you're at that point, you know, the cracking point. And we used to call guys going AWOL, you know, because you never went home. <laughs> oh, such such is AWOL. Oh, he'll be back in a couple weeks. <laughs> I mean, it was like that because it was so hot. Everything was selling out, and you would go to TV every three weeks and get a stack of, stack of tickets like that with rubber band around in your booking sheet on there, what towns you were going to. Every morning you were up at... 6 a.m. taking two flights on whatever airline was going there get to the town boom same thing the next day yeah i mean it was non-stop and and it was tough you know and i was young can't even mention like a guy that was you know like in his mid-40s trying to keep up with that pace and we just cracked one night and said left and i came back and finished uh, my bookings and then but it, it also worked out for me because what happened out of the situation I went back to work for like NWA and that was the first time I had ever started being a heel in, in the varsity club which I thought worked really good and then at least I had some experience leading up to when I ended up going back to WWF at the time uh, to become IRS and then you know team up with Ted and then go from there but I had some experience it would have been hard to switch over to heel if I'd have stayed in WWF makes sense but was that like a culture shock to you a little bit because I it's funny you bring up the varsity club because when I was in the military we were talking about was it was Louisiana sometimes on a weekend the NWA used to come through Monroe Louisiana right, right? so we walked up now I grew up in the Northeast, big WWE guy. You couldn't pick up a ticket here, man. You had a. No. I used to go to the Garden all the time, but once yeah. it really got hot, it was very hard to get tickets. We walked up, got front row seats for like ten bucks, and it, the place was literally empty. 
and you were there actually. It was like I like the, you know maybe there's a hundred people there. Was that like a culture shock going from the WWF to that type of environment? Well, I remember. Um, I think what happened was you probably went to a show when Turner took it over. Yes. And what the deal was with that, they didn't advertise anything. They didn't care if the live events made a dime because they they paid Crockett so much and really stole the company from them for what they paid for them. Because mm. that company back in the day, and the, you're talking the early, late 70s, early 80s, was making probably 20, 20 million a year. Well, they paid the kids, each one of them so much, didn't care about, because they're a TV business, so they didn't advertise the shows. Right. That's why they didn't draw. Yeah, because it was stacked. You, you yeah. uh, Sting, Pays, all you guys right. were on They didn't there. care. It was crazy. It was a write-off for them. Wow. So, so your timing was very strange, that show you caught. That was pretty good. Wow. For me, but it was fun. As far as a culture shock, no, because... You go somewhere and you deal with it. You deal with the consequences, and you know, and like WWE starting out was like, you know, it was so hot because they took guys out of every territory and put them all together on right. TV on a big TV, and you know, they reached a lot of people, and of course they're going to draw. So it was new and and exciting. So uh, I was at a show in. Uh we had, we were having a show in Houston, and uh, this is when I was in Mid South. Mid South was a huge territory. Yeah. I mean, all of Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, mm. and then uh, Bill Watts bought Houston, you know, from Paul Bosch. Uh, and so, I mean, it was it was a big territory, and it was always always a good territory. Uh, Bill Watts, in my opinion, you know. Uh, was one of the smartest guys in terms of his understanding of the psychology of what we do. And he learned a lot of what he knew from a guy named Eddie Graham. Mm -hmm. And Eddie Graham learned most of what he knew from a guy named Dory Funk Sr. Mm. And uh, But I was having a conversation with Bruce Pritchard, who lived in Houston. And Bruce said, I'm about to go to New York, you know, and talk to him about a job. And, uh, you know, I was in the dressing room in Atlanta when uh, Pat Patterson showed up and that takeover happened you know and uh pat was assuring everybody hey don't any don't worry you know everybody's got a job nobody's you know gonna get fired you know calm down now what is this black monday the, what they call know, black and, monday uh yeah thank you okay and so uh i got pat off the side and i said pat i said uh, there's a difference between having a job and having a position mm. and i said all the positions are taken right now so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave here and I'm going back to work for Bill in Mid South, you know. Uh, when you got a position, let me know. Wow. So when Bruce went to New York, I just said, you know, drop my name, let let me know. But I and at the time though, I had that great position. I had gotten that thing with Stan Hansen, and so I you know I had Japan there. It was like I would. A lot of guys were panicking, like what's going to happen, and um, and so I go to Japan. And I get a mess message, you know, uh, uh, call me as soon as you can. So I called Bruce, and he said, okay, two things have happened since you left. Number one, Bill Watts has just sold his territory to Jimmy Crockett. As soon as I heard that, I, I knew, I know Bill, you know. Bill's a smart guy. He saw what was coming. Uh, 
he saw, look, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to compete with this. And so he's, he's, he sold out. And so I told Bruce, and he said, the other thing is, uh, Vince McMahon is very interested in you. And he says, when you get back, do not sign a contract with Crockett before you have a chance to talk to Vince McMahon. And, you know, the rest is history. So you mentioned Pat Patterson last December. We lost Pat Patterson. Can you guys share your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Pat Patterson, another guy, in my opinion, who had uh, a world knowledge in, in, uh, about the psychology of wrestling. And quite frankly, if I ever had a question about something I was asked to do or if I ever needed you know, like if I got into a facade where I needed some help, if he was available, he's always the first guy I'd go to. Uh, and uh, you know, and I, I think I'm not sure, but I, you know, I, I think you know he had something to do with the, the development of my character. Mm. You know, which was basically Vince's idea. You know, uh, but Bruce Bruce told me that uh, this is this was funny. Vince and him took a, a flight somewhere. And he said, "Bruce, he said, I'm going to I'm going to prove a point to you. Everybody's got a price." So they're 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 sitting in first class, and this was before you, you know, could, you could still smoke on a plane, and Vince hates smoke. So this guy, you know, either in front of him or behind him or next to him, this is lights up a cigarette, you know, and he says, "Man, you know, I, I can you please you know put your cigarette out?" He says, I'm, "I'm sorry," he says, "but you know, I paid for my seat." Da 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 da. And he and so he goes, man. I'll, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks. You know, he says, you know, I'm sorry. He says, you know, I says hey, look, I'll give you five hundred dollars. You know, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry. He says, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Puts a cigarette out. And he takes the money. <laughs> and, and he looked at he looked at Bruce. And he said, see, everybody's got a price. And so, uh, anyway, that's. <laughs> I, but I'm, I'm I'm sure that Pat had something to do with that the development. Can you clear up, clear up one thing for me personally? So you're in the WWF or WWWF at the time, and you're the North American champion. And they come up with this idea. I think Vince Senior comes up with the idea of the Intercontinental Title, and then you're supposed to have this match in what Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro okay. with Patterson for what the Intercontinental. Okay, what happened is the first time I went to New York. Until until then, my understanding was they had a a world champion, world tag team champions, a female world champion, and female tag team champions, and that was the only titles that they had. And so when they brought me in, they brought me in as the North American heavyweight champion. First time they introduce a new title to the territory, and so I don't know. A, a little while went on, and I just happened to to mention to Vince Sr., I said, you know, Bill Watts has a North American champion in Mid-South. And he said, I didn't know that. So that's that's what, you know, it was kind of like, a, I don't know, like a respect thing. And so they made up a story, is what they did, is that, you know, like, Pat beats me, you know, for the North American title. And then goes off to this tournament in Rio de Janeiro, where all of these champions put their titles up, and whoever comes out of that that uh, tournament, the winner is the Intercontinental Champion. So there is no match, there is no tape on it. You can't find it. No, because there's people claiming there's tape on. Oh, I have no, it. No, you know. no, it never happened. 
It was, yeah, it was a story. Well, wait a minute, Pat was supposed to be Southern heavyweight champion. <laughs> when did that happen? That's the other mystery to this whole thing. Mike, how about your memories of Pat? Yeah, Pat was a, a great psychologist and had a lot of uh, experience and, you know, had seen a lot in the business and helped a lot of guys, you know. I remember Pat um, mostly when I first, when Barry and I first started um, back in 1984, Pat was a producer slash agent on the road. And he was, I worked with him one time at a bar mitzvah. We, some, they booked us at this bar mitzvah somewhere in New York. Pat is so, at a bar mitzvah. Yeah, right. and I'm we, th- that's what the kid wanted. <laughs> that's what the kid wanted for his bar mitzvah. Pat so we had that's three awesome. matches on the card, and I worked with Pat. <laughs> And then we jumped in the car and drove to Washington, D.C. for our night show that weekend. You know, it was crazy. So, but yeah, and I remember I had just gotten married and I got my wife on the road, um, which was basically the only time we ever got to see each other. I brought her on the road because I was never home. And Barry had a girlfriend on the road. And so we come back. We made it through this snowstorm, and Barry and I are on last with Sheik and Volkoff, and we come back, and our wife, or my wife and Barry's girlfriend, are in, in the back drinking pina coladas with Pat. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> But that's, you know, and he was just happy. He said, I'm so happy you make it here. He's a we good we Wait a minute. That's a pretty good imitation of Pat. That, that is much better than you. You're the one who imitates Pat. I've never even tried to. I'm not even close to that. Can I hear another one? Do we have another one? You left the pressure on me now. <laughs> well, we'll get a promo afterwards. He'll do Patterson. <laughs> I always want to know about your lives growing up and your parents. Can you both share about your parents and life growing up before wrestling? Uh, well, the, I, for me, there was no life before wrestling because my dad was not only a professional wrestler, uh, he had been a national amateur champion. Uh, in 1946, while he was still in the Navy, Navy right. he won the AAU National Heavyweight Wrestling title. Right. And then uh, post-Navy, post he went to Nebraska and lettered eight times, four years in football, four in wrestling. Three years in a row, he was conference heavyweight champion for the University of Nebraska. Uh, and Mike came into my life when I was five. He wasn't my biological dad. He married my mother when I was five, and my mother's uh, given name was Gladys Nevins. But her wrestling name was Helen Hild. My mm. mother was also a professional lady wrestler. Right. And a pretty dang good one. Right. And uh, that's how they met. And uh, they got married when I was in October of 59, when I was five years old. He came into my life, and, and, and the rest is history. I mean, that's like, you know, the territorial days uh, of wrestling. And, and, and you know, he was a top performer ever, everywhere he went. Uh, and again, had a tremendous relationship with Dory Funk Sr. Uh, we, you know, I mean, I remember going to uh, the first grade in Amarillo. I came back there, and I was in the sixth grade in Amarillo, and we came back again uh, uh, after my freshman year of high school. Left Nebraska, and was going to finish high school in Texas. And my father died that summer, in mm. uh, you know, working for Dory and. Uh, I went back and finished high school in Arizona, and then, and then, 
you know, I had signed a scholarship to play ball at, at, at Arizona, University of Arizona. Wrestling comes on TV one day. I hadn't seen any wrestling for three years since my father's death. And it's the tape from Amarillo. So they're coming into Arizona to run some shows. So I go to Tucson and visit uh, to visit the Funks. And uh, Terry says, hey, he says, I can get you a recruiting trip to visit West Texas. He says, even if you've decided what to do, he says, just come back and see everybody. And I said, that's that'll be great. And so I went, <laughs> that's all it took. I got back around it. I got back in that atmosphere uh, just for those couple of days. But uh, I've started enough to know that coming out of a little, a very small school in southern Arizona, that you know West Texas State is probably a better a better choice for me than than Arizona. But uh, in the back of my mind was always wrestling. It's like you know I'm going to get back around this, and and uh, it was always in my head. And so. Uh, Biggest mistake of my life. I go three years college, play football for three years, uh, get out of school. My and, and at the end of my sophomore year, during the summer, I refereed in the territory. And I couldn't wrestle, you know, but I could be a referee. You can learn a whole lot about the business being the third man in the mm-hmm. ring. And then at, 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 the, at the end of the next summer, at the end of my junior year, Dick Murdoch says to me, he says, I'm going down to Mid-South uh, to wrestle for Bill Watts. He said, if you want to get your feet wet, I think I can get you booked. And so Bill got me, I mean, Bill, Bill went ahead and let me come in there. And I was going to wrestle for the summer and go back and finish school. And I never went back. You know, things went very well, very fast, and uh, I still biggest mistake of my life. I mean, I was I was one year away from a you know a degree in education, and and uh, it's not too late to. <laughs> You're right. Just got one I could, year. I could still do it. <laughs> one more year. That's do too it. funny. I could still yeah. do it. I don't know if that's a mistake, though, man. Uh, well, I mean, considering what happened, it you worked know. Out oh, rats! I turned out to be the million dollar man. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how about you growing up before wrestling? Um, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, basically on 180 acres of land. Uh, nice. We had, we nice. had beef, cattle. Uh, my oh, dad worked construction. My mom worked at IBM for like 50 years. Wow. Okay. Um, I have one sister, which she still lives up that way with near my mom. Um, basically, my dad was a good... Uh, athlete and taught me pretty much everything I knew about sports whether it was football he played basketball and was a real good baseball player so I did all those sports but he got me geared towards wrestling because I I was a big husky kid and thought I would do better at that than basketball Um, and then basically I kept you know working and ended up Tom Coughlin the coach of the Giants sure. was my recruiter to go to Syracuse University. Wow. Nice. Um, and used to show up in the summer. I, some summers I'd stay home and some I'd stay in Syracuse. But I had a weight room there and I'd work a job at a cable factory and then come back and I'm working out and Coughlin would show up and say, okay, I'm, you're going down to the track with me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> after 10 hours of working and whatever. We go to the track, and he has me running two twenties and four forties and forties and whatever. So, is he the drill sergeant he appears to be? And I, I yeah, mean, that in a good way, he's I, a legend here. He's in New a York fair now. guy, though. Fair, you know, awesome. he's a fair guy. 
I remember uh, a guidance counselor of mine sent him a letter because I transferred to a little bigger high school my senior year because to get a better look at getting a scholarship. So I remember I, I we wrestled Ithaca, New York, Ithaca High School. I went to uh, high school in Owego, New York my senior year, which was a little bigger than the high school I came from, but not really, really that big. So it came down to, which it does a lot in, in wrestling, the heavyweight match. If this team heavyweight wins, this team wins, or that the other way, you know? So I came down to one of those deals, and we, had a, we used to get a good following. Our gymnasium was full there. We had a good wrestling team. So I pinned the kid pretty quick, and I'm coming off the mat, and Coughlin comes up to me like a kid in a candy shop. <laughs> he was happier than I was. There you go. You know, but you he liked that, you know, yeah. and that's the kind of person he was. So He's a great leader. So obviously. anyways, I ended up going to Syracuse and... Uh, on a football scholarship and wasn't going to wrestle. And I told Ted this story uh, the other day when we were in the car yesterday. Um, one of the guys that recruited me to try at the state tournament to go to Syracuse wrestlers, John Janiak kept coming. I'd see him on the campus because he knew me from the state tournament. He says, come, come work out. Come work out with our heavyweight. Just roll around with them. You need somebody to work out with. So I finally went down to a wrestling practice, and rest, I went there two or three days, and I told Janiak, I said, I think I can beat this guy. And he was a fifth-year senior football player, and I was a freshman, so he, I he goes, challenge him to a wrestle-off, and I pinned him, and he quit. <laughs> So because he, he was done, well, he quit because he was done. You know, he finished football and he could relax the rest of his college days and not worry about it. So they go, you want to go to Florida? And uh, we go down there on Christmas break and wrestle. And I said, hell yeah, let's go. So we, that's how I ended up. And after that, I got so close with the guys and on the wrestling team, I ended up doing both sports until my last year. I finished football and I got a, I sat out in wrestling and five of us did that and we came back the next year for a fifth year and we won the Eastern Championships and the only team we lost to that year nationally was Iowa. Hmm. We beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma State or whatever, we beat Lehigh. Wow. We had a really good team. So, you know, I, you know, and I really admire that because I mean, it's like I was, Mike and I agreed on this. I mean, in, in today, you know, Sorry. once you, you know, it's very unusual to see an athlete who's doing two sports. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, because you're gonna pick a sport, you know, and 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 there you're gonna be on scholarship to play football, or you're gonna be on scholarship to wrestle, right. and you know, because the, the wrestling coach is gonna go, hey, I, you ain't gonna play football. I don't want to, you know, I want to see you get hurt so you can't wrestle for me mm -hmm. and vice versa right uh so you just don't see that very much plus right. you have to be a glutton for punishment right because <laughs> you never get a break right uh, it was year but, round but you know it's funny you could see that your careers were heading towards something that was going to be super positive i mean just but i didn't know anything you know? about wrestling about I'm just pro. saying in general, yeah. right? You guys are world-class athletes, and I mean that, right? Football, college football players, yeah. college wrestlers. He's pinning seniors. Yeah, it's like that's a big deal. And then they're deal. quitting. But, uh, there's but a the, clue. But the thing, <laughs> the thing of it was is I had no conception about 
ever getting in this business mm. because where I grew up in outside of Binghamton is where we go is like WWF at the time was it wasn't even it was WWF yeah, right yeah. so that would come on at like 12:30 1 o'clock sure. WOR midnight sure in the Friday night or whatever, yeah, yeah late night. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> I swear to God. Well, so that's a good I point. I never had been to a pro match uh, live until I was 23 years old mm-hmm. and went with Dick Byer. So go. it was like this. But I I could tell the first time I ever went, we, he took me to, uh, Dick took me to Canada with him because he was working Montreal territory up there with and Andre the Giant, Frank Valla, um, Gino Brito, and Dino Bravo owned the Montreal territory. And it was like a summer territory. And Dick was going up there. We'd go up there a week. And that's where I first met Andre. Killer Khan. Killer Khan. Uh, Sweet Hansen put me out with a sleeper in a bar because I was asking Dick I said does that really work <laughs> oh, oh. so we goes come over here <laughs> <and> I, <laughs> next thing you know they're whacking me in the back and I'm like <laughs> uh, you know uh, but uh, you know Mike and I talked about this too um, some I didn't realize when I first started you know the incredible amount of talent that I was being exposed to when I first started, mm. you know, you named a lot of guys there yeah. right, that mm. could really yeah. go. Right, and and when you get in a ring with those guys, you got a lot better chance of picking up, sure, picking it up than you you, you know than being with somebody that knows less. You had the fast track and, to learning. Yeah, yeah. and so when when I worked to, went to work for uh, Vince, Vince was you know I mean Dick Murdoch, Killer Carl Cox, uh, oh my gosh, so many different guys came through there. Uh, that were just, just they weren't good wrestlers. They were, they were great wrestlers. Right, right. And uh, you know, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was at the time. But now I appreciate it. Like, oh yeah, yeah, please. yeah. I agree with that completely because I went to Germany to start. Then I was going back and forth, and I did maybe two shows, uh, a couple shows a week, driving up to Canada, and I worked. I think Dick got me booked at a show in Toronto Maple Leafs Gardens. So I worked a show. Three weeks later, I got a call from Johnny Weaver and said, Hey, kid, because uh, I, I worked with Jesse Ventura, and he beat me in like a minute at the Cadillac tournament. Wow. And Jesse says to me before, this is governor, listen, kid, take it easy. Because he knew I was the amateur. He goes, yeah. Don't stretch me. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So he beat me in like a minute, minute and a half, whatever. So Weaver calls me. So I called Dick and said, what do I do? He goes, go to Charlotte. And when I got to Charlotte, Wahoo had just taken over the book. Slaughter was there. Canoodle. Mm. Rick Flair. Ricky Steamboat. Mm. Jay Youngblood. Mm. Don Jeez. Morocco. Cowboy wow. Bob Orton Jr. Um Greg Valentine, Ric Flair. Listen to yeah. this list. Oh, uh, who's, who's list? Jake Roberts, who I lived with for four months, and that was quite an experience. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got to hear about that one. Wow. Yeah. You survived. Well, you never uh, told me that. I Nicely done. probably tell any of those on here. <laughs> <laughs> with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with 
two of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time, Money Inc. See you in a sec. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049. Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut. Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast. Monty DeFaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV. Yeah. On the couch, the icons, Ted DiBiase and Mike Rotundo. IRS. Okay. Get it straight. <laughs> However, this is a question directed at Mike Rotundo. Rotunda. Back in the day, your team with Barry Windham. And the more I think about this, I'm going to continue to rail on about this. Not only could you possibly be in the Hall of Fame one day for IRS, you could be in the Hall of Fame for your time with Barry. You could be in your Hall of Fame also for your time with Money, Inc. So that's three different complaints I'm going to be filing, Vince. Just look out for the envelope <laughs> with the uh, pyramid in the corner from the pharaoh. Uh, ma- That'll go right to the trash. <laughs> yeah, you know it well! This will be like, ah, it's him again! Ah. But um, thoughts on those days with you and Barry? Because that team was flipping amazing. What are your memories of those days with Barry? If I could just add in one thing before you answer that. Yeah. Real American was your theme song. Oh, my God. Until they stole it and gave it to Hogan. So right. you're getting money from that, too? Well, that's because we left. That yeah. Hogan, man. Unbelievable. Always <laughs> What's you going to do, brother? <laughs> oh, my God. That's pretty good. Thank you. Those brother. days with Barry was fast-paced, brother. Yeah. Just boom. Yeah. We were on the move, you know. And we had a lot of fun. Barry and I were... Dusty put Barry and I together in Florida when Dusty. I first went down there after I was in the NWA in, in the Carolinas. Dusty called uh, Crockett and said, I need, a, I need a young baby face to go down there. Hmm. So I moved down to Florida. A week later, they teamed me and Barry up, and it just clicked, you know. And we were, Right away. We were both young and partying and... Out all night, and, you know, just... Were you guys like rock stars back then? I mean, look, uh, at, I, look I, at Barry, for God's sake. To He's be basically... honest with you, I can remember getting out of the car, and we were in bum, you know what, Pennsylvania, <laughs> up on some mountain. I've been there. And, <laughs> and people just went, oh my God. Converged. It's crazy because the TV was so strong. It was like on ABC or NBC, CBS. Everybody got it. Yeah. So when you got out of the car, 
I mean, just people. The, it was freaky. The girls it really screaming was. like the Beatles. Yeah, it was crazy. I, I believe it, it really was. And so Barry, I believe it. yeah, girls loved Barry. Uh, you know? So we didn't have a lot of like Florida from up here, right? So we, because you know the way TV worked. So we used to read in PWI. So when you formed that team with Barry, it was hot, right? Oh, right. Oh yeah. 